what's happening troops welcome to the first ever episode of a little house in the prairie podcast uh today we're going to be speaking to a very special guest uh out of winnipeg manitoba promoter dj producer business owner and full-time dad uh, it's nathan zen welcome nathan thank you very much for coming on the podcast speaking to me today how are you i'm great and uh thank you very much for having me yeah, no yeah, problem. Just got the kids to bed, so uh, this is the time to do stuff like this. So yeah, definitely. Um, so I just want to jump right into things here. We'll just get started right off the bat. I just wanted to speak to you a little bit about uh, how you got involved in the scene, what kind of drew you to dance music, and what it was that got you started as a DJ producer. Everything else that you do in the scene. Yeah, I mean, um, I definitely came at the scene. Uh, through being just a big music fan. So I was in high school, played trumpet. Um, I actually did two years of a degree in music in university, uh, dropped out. I was in the jazz program, then I did philosophy. So I was a big music geek and I, I love music of all types. Um, you know, your typical uh, sort of 60s rock. I liked old school hip hop. I liked classical, I liked jazz. I was just interested in music in general, but I was a real jazz fan and in particular got interested in like the Miles Davis uh, sort of fusion jazz material that was sort of almost like electronic jazz, right, back in the day. And um, and so I listened to a lot of CBC radio late at night. Um, and when that, when that show ended, the jazz program, the public radio program at midnight, I would catch this uh, uh, Brave New Waves, which ran for, I think, over 20, 25 years, which was midnight till three or four in the morning. A lot of people will have heard of it. But it did a ton of uh, new music, especially electronic music. And so this is 1993, 94, 95. I was, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. And so luckily, because of public radio, go figure. I was hearing some like proper, interesting electronic music from The Orb, Ninja Tomb, great label from the UK, um, Richie Houghton. And so I was, a, I was a jazz guy. I liked electronic music. And then the missing link, of course, was, you know, to go see this music, right? Where would you, where would you actually get to see it? And, like a lot of people, uh, especially back then, but uh, before, you know, it really took off on the internet, I guess, just pre, pre like explosion on the internet. I knew one person who was knew about the really good warehouse parties in Winnipeg where there was some great techno. And uh, so I was, uh, I think I was just 16 or 17 actually when I got taken to a, a proper underground illegal warehouse party in Winnipeg um, and just loved it. It was uh, music I'd heard on the radio, but seeing it spun live and of course, a bit more dance oriented and uh and so yeah that was the very beginning was was going to these warehouse parties in, in high school and then and then the same person who introduced me to that in 1996 they rented a, a warehouse um called the nutty club it's a a candy factory that still makes candy to this day and so the people who made candy in this place uh had an empty floor and my friend rented out this floor is saying we're going to do like art shows and stuff. And um, they might have figured we we're going to throw some parties, but I think they thought they were going to be pretty low key. But these were like rip roaring, like three, four hundred person all night events the summer of 1996. And that was with a production company that was called Symptom Technologies. So we had a lot of fun because it was, you know, the Nutty Club and it was, you know, our, our, our special underground club. And I didn't start all that, but I was part of this this crew as a young kid, and then um, and I ended up getting more involved in throwing shows and um, more warehouse parties, and then really a bunch of raves in the late '90s and early 2000s. Um, so that was sort of my early days was was getting into the scene, finding the warehouse parties, and then throwing your you know, some of your typical raves in uh, in Winnipeg, like 500 to 1,000 person unique venues, basically outside of clubs kind of stuff, right? Yeah, definitely. And you just seem to 
you said you got started back in 95, 96, around that time. But you just kind of caught uh, the perfect time, I guess, where all those warehouse parties were going on, uh, still going on. Obviously, you're not seeing them as much now. And it's a little bit different when you're hearing those songs on the radio compared to when you hear them on a proper sound system and someone spinning them live. But no, it, seem, it seems like you got involved in the scene uh, quite early, right at the time where everything started to be uh, started to blow up, especially, uh, I guess, over in Europe. Uh, even speaking to people who were around in that, that time, that seems to be the kind of peak time where everything really took off. I'm not too sure about the scene in Canada here, but uh, it seemed to have it seemed to have been a really uh, a turning point for the scene in terms of it started to draw a lot more attention and not necessarily the all the all the wanted attention all the positive attention at that time, but uh, it definitely gave people an opportunity to go out and enjoy themselves and get away from the the kind of typical bar scene and uh, have a little bit of freedom. Well, yeah, and I think, you know, um, it's easy to, 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 to romanticize and to be nostalgic about the peak of a scene. But, you know, in, in some ways, uh, and I might have just caught the very end of it, never mind. I mean, you know, from 1988 to 94, the very early days of the scene and, you know, before that, but certainly the early electronic scene was, was, uh, was outside of the clubs. It was more welcoming, less alcohol-based. It was uh, more underground. The music was much more eclectic. And I'm, yeah, I'm glad I caught that. Um, but um, at the same time, uh, it was definitely, uh, what can I say about it? It was, uh, well, basically, uh, the, the warehouse parties were, you know, were, were being shut down a lot of times. We know that whole story, that kind of thing. So ironically, moving all these years later, we were throwing parties where the city is sometimes, you know, giving us places to put them on, whether it's public parks or we're getting like public grants sometimes. So it's funny to see how things have come full full circle in terms of these events being frowned upon to being like celebrated cultural events, which we can talk about a bit about later too, right? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I just wanted to speak to you a little bit about that as well. Uh, obviously, you said after getting involved in the scene around 95, 96, uh, you then went on to uh, host some shows and uh, as a promoter and putting on your own shows uh, as we coming into the, the late 90s there. What was it like back then? I guess in comparison to now where we have the age of social media and uh, the shows are all kind of above board compared to back then when everything was kind of underground, illegal raves and just completely different to the scene that we're, that has grown into these days. Yeah, actually, that's a good thing, right? It's, it was There's pros and cons. I mean, there was a certain freedom and it was exciting. Uh, and certainly, I mean, being outside of like the constraints of a club or you maybe had a club owner that had certain expectations of the kind of music that we played or you know, you know, you had, you had to have a regular payroll. So these, these would be one-off parties or, or warehouses people would rent for short periods of time. So yeah, it was a, it was, it was a much more of a do-it-yourself attitude, um, obviously. And so there was uh, maybe a bit more creative freedom and a bit more open and welcoming. And certainly it was, uh, I, I remember at the time, you know, it was obviously there was a lot of the, the LGBTQ scene that was involved in all that. And it was interesting that as a young guy, I never really thought about it, but I guess it was clearly, you know, a lot of this sprung from that scene and that, 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 that welcomeness. Um, and I mean, you have that now, but there was a time where it, you had to sort of escape maybe the club scene because it might have been sometimes a bit mainstream uh, and also cookie cutter music and commercial music and, and um, you know, overbearing security, which is still a problem. 
so yeah, so you had a certain freedom, but also to be fair, you know, you, you also had venues that, you know, in, in, in rare cases were maybe unsafe, although they weren't where we were, but uh, I think there is some legitimacy to wanting to make things safe and open and welcoming. So, you know, you, you do want the best of both worlds, right? Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that was kind of where people were worrying about it, where you were getting the venues that were, that were unsafe and uh, maybe not as planned and were a little bit reckless in terms of, uh, security and medical staff and things like that and that kind of that was one of the things that I guess prompted the government uh, in Canada to put a lockdown on those type of events and those type of parties that were happening uh, I believe it would have been the early 2000s correct me if I'm wrong here the early 2000s uh, where they actually brought in uh, a law that prevented people from hosting events uh, over I think it was 300 people or something like that uh, they were putting uh, prevention orders on people from hosting events and not having proper medical staff proper security uh, proper licenses and things like that and they really seemed to crack down on it um, what was it like for you I guess both as a musician and also as a promoter moving from that age where everything was kind of the underground scene was really alive to when uh, the government really started putting pressure on you guys. Well, it's kind of funny. They came up with some pretty creative things to stop some of these parties in, in Winnipeg and across Canada and around the world. You know, there's lots of different stories. One that we had locally was simply no dancing after 2 a.m. So, you know, so you could have venues open, but there was a, they tried that for a while, which is kind of silly. There was also one I was thinking about where there was um, like, uh, yeah, I mean, um, even the type of music they would actually chase after you if you're playing electronic music. It was quite specific. It was kind of a weird thing. You know, there's such a weird misunderstanding. And obviously, it's the drug culture and all that stuff. And I think I can I could see how that could kind of could come about. Ironically, a lot of the, the drugs being consumed, those things were probably safer than alcohol. Um, but you see now with psychedelics being understood as, uh, in some cases, treated properly, potentially... Um, fairly safe and benign things which is maybe a conversation for another day but nonetheless that misunderstanding drove, drove a lot of that and yeah you did see this sort of see a death of the scene in a way where you lost these warehouse parties and even a lot of the raves were shut down um for a while and things did have to sort of go more above board and um i think that was a kind of a tough transition um but um in our case um you know we uh did come out of that eventually making the right proposals to to different venues and to the city to to sort of bring the scene a lot more uh, public, um, whether it was like the Pantages Playhouse, a great theater here, or the Winnipeg Art Gallery, which, you know, was pretty neat to throw a big, a big rocking party there on four floors in the roof. Um, and they were happy with it. We ran a tight ship, you know, and also doing shows at outdoor parks and venues. So, so yeah, there was sort of this peak, like freedom. There was this kind of this clamp down. And then now in the last decade and five years, and you see this a lot of places, there's a lot more, you know, it's this it's it's gone a lot more mainstream so there's a lot of pros and cons there i mean ultimately i'm i'm i think we're living in a great time um minus covid of course uh in terms of uh where the scenes come you know yeah and i think uh i think even at that time when things did kind of turn the corner and uh, everything was happening above boards like you said everything has pros and cons uh i guess there was a lot of places that did adapt and handled it really well and you see that in a a lot of places especially even now in the last five ten years uh, I've been going out to uh, events and stuff out in Toronto and across Europe and things do seem to work really well. But then at the same time, what I've found here, even just from my personal experience being in the prairies, it's it's put 
the power in hands of people who are owning these clubs who maybe don't have the the interest and the love for the music and aren't really involved in the scene and don't really want to understand the DJs and artists who are playing in these clubs and they are putting a little bit of a dampener on maybe the songs that they can play where sometimes you're going out to clubs and you're hearing the same five songs that you've heard for the last 10 weeks in a row and everything seems really scripted and the people who own the clubs are maybe just in it for the money and that's also the kind of downside of it but I think now hopefully uh, things especially with like you said the way the world's changing and people are starting to understand things like psychedelics and uh, I guess in the last few years uh, marijuana has became legal here and I know it has in a few other countries the states are slowly getting there too uh, people are starting to kind of open up to the idea that that these things are that these things are uh, they can be controlled and they can be made safe and hopefully the the culture kind of grows with that and gets a little bit more acceptance from the people who own these clubs instead of uh, trying to limit what we can do. Well, you know, I mean, I think club owners have always wanted to make money. Um, but in a place like the prairies, you know, you've got, you know, these small populations, so you don't really have the critical mass. So it's, it's been a kind of a tough, tough thing here. There's been some great things over the years, though, like whether it's Connect that ran for almost 25 years in Saskatchewan or more recently, Electric Sky Festival is uh, uh, an outdoor festival taking place. That's um, but these are one-off, you know, weekends that are great. And for, as far as regular venues goes, um, you know, one of the rules we've gone by in Winnipeg because it's a small scene uh, is you know never do more than a, a monthly, right? Um, you know, doing a weekly is just is just too tough to have a regular scene. So we were you we were always thinking about how do you how do you grow the scene? And um, and the reality is is you're better off doing something less often well than trying to do it more often. That that whole thing, right? Yeah, that's it. So yeah, so we definitely are, you know, always working to kind of grow the scene. And that's part of why we started Meme actually was we did this uh, part of the festival was basically three days of free parties from noon until midnight at this park at Old Market Square at the Cube venue. And um, and so some people, of course, would come maybe about a thousand people. And so you'd always try to find a few hundred that would come to the after parties, which would work. But that even that was like, <laughs> what more could you do in terms of like throwing a free party to get people to come to the after parties and to grow the scene? So it was a good it was a good uh, experience for us and uh, we actually sort of we had we actually stopped doing the festival last year the free po portion because um well it was sponsorships and grants and funding and hey putting on a free party is not easy um but i am happy to say that we are planning to come back with the festival and uh this year we're doing an all streaming event in june uh just just a streaming festival june 10th to 13th um but next year we're gonna we're gonna carefully come back in person and um one of the things that's I've always liked to talk about with these kinds of things is where do you put the show on, right? Like we talked about club owners and dealing with venue owners, and in the spirit of warehouse parties and 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 um, finding unique venues, which I think the electronic scene isn't particularly interested in doing. A lot of scenes do it, but um, we've just recently secured a, a warehouse in Winnipeg that we'll be able to use that uh, holds six hundred people, and it's got an owner that's happy to do shows there. So it's kind of exciting time to come back after COVID with carefully doing, you know, an in-person event and having this new venue and stuff. So, um, so yeah, you know, life uh, throws you curveballs, but sometimes it throws you these, these gifts too. So uh, it's good. I think it'd be a pretty exciting year for us uh, coming up in the next year with, with this new venue in particular. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. It, it sounds like, uh, like you guys have got a plan to come back, uh, come back with a vengeance here and make it worth everyone's while. And I think that's what everyone is going to be waiting for, especially since, the year we've had in 2020 and I guess 2021 we're still looking like it it may even at the earliest 
fingers crossed, maybe towards the end of the year before we see anything that's going to be allowed in person. Um, but yeah, for for next year, it sounds like you guys have got a you guys have got a great idea on your hands. You've got a great venue, and uh, I'm looking forward to see what it is that you guys put on. I'll definitely be coming out to that, attending that, and uh, hopefully get to link up with you in person. But yeah, I wanted to speak a little bit about that as well. Um, I know in in recent years you guys have put the festival on and you've kind of had a little bit of a, a a twist on it as well where you've brought in people like uh, you were saying you brought in Bill Nye the Science Guy uh, in years gone by and is that a way that you guys are kind of moving to bring more attention to the scene because for me here in the prairies in Saskatchewan and Regina I guess it's going to be this a similar idea in, in Winnipeg is uh, there's there's a scene developing here it is still very small as a lot of these cities are island cities where there's maybe one place and then not anywhere too close to it is that a way that you're going to be bringing some more people in and drawing some more attention from the people who maybe don't know about the scene that's happening here or bringing in people from maybe the bigger cities that do have more of the attention like your montreal's your torontos uh even vancouver over on the west coast well, yeah, I mean, in my particular case, my, my other business I run is um, I do a, 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 a guest speaker series. It's called Science First. So it's sort of like TED Talks, basically. Um, and long story short, um, you know, I wouldn't have wanted to do this or thought of this a few years ago, but I realized maybe I can combine these two worlds. So you could you could check out these science talks and on AI or robotics or s- sustainability uh, earlier in the, in the day or in the evening and then check out the parties at night. So it's going to be sort of a hybrid conference and festival. And because it's an urban festival, you know, we can do that. And the idea is, well, maybe some people that would just come for the music might be interested in some of these science talks or vice versa. People come for these talks like, hey, I'll check out the music. So here we are in a small city in the middle of nowhere, you know, the prairies like that where you're, you are too. And yeah, how you attract more people. Um, we've had a little bit of people coming, you know, uh, from other provinces here, but yeah, it's a tough sell. So yeah, so the new idea is to sort of broaden what we do it's still music front and center but i think it'll be really fun to have this other discussion series conference attached to it and i think a lot of people want to do that kind of thing i mean and it's kind of uh it's pretty low-key it's not like you you have to do one or the other you can you can sort of choose what you want um so i'm really excited to launch this new hybrid model and we haven't really made a big announcement about it yet so uh this will be one of the first places this is talked about um we're going to sort of do a proper introduction to the world about this uh, later in april and, and sort of make a big splash about it so happy to sort of break the news here that there'll be a new conference in Winnipeg with these two components together so yeah yeah well I'm excited for that um I, you've, you've got me hooked now I'm definitely coming out to attend that um that that was exactly what I wanted to speak about as well like you you're putting on these events in recent years you've held events at some different venues within Winnipeg uh like you were saying you guys held uh an event at the Forks and you also held an event at the, was it the Art Museum? So yeah, the Winnipeg Art Gallery, which is um, a re- really nice building that uh, we were the first to do a full-on electric sh- electronic music show there. There have been some bands and st- shows there over the years, to be sure. But I think we sort of pushed it a bit in terms of going later, um, you know, being a bit louder and bigger. And uh, it was great. It was just a great party. Why not? You know, I think we just came at it with the right attitude. But that might have been hands-off 10, 15 years ago, that kind of thing. Although in the case of the Forks, we it was an example of of it was, it was a one time affair. It's a it's a hot tourist spot, and it's there's a big market with lots of restaurants and um, uh, uh, different shops. 
but there's a huge space in the middle where you could have maybe 500 people and we threw a party there a few years ago it was a really hot summer day and i think people were just really just going off and it was a bit of a wild scene even by our standards um um and even the base was actually shaking stuff off the shelves in some of the shops so they shut us down early and they never let us do a party there again although they would let us throw shows uh on the site there's like a we did a forks bridge party over the river which is really cool so great people but sometimes you know you you push your luck in terms of where you bring a big party and that was sort of a one for the books there won't be another show like that at the forks again i'm afraid yeah that's unfortunate sometimes these things just happen and you've yeah, got you don't always win right you know it's that wasn't really built for a party and that's actually what we do a lot of the times we try to inject ourselves somewhere into a place that's not necessarily for shows i mean that's you know whether it's a street party or or, or some sort of uh, a public building um, or using a, a building in a different way. It's always fun to do that. Uh, and again, in the case of this warehouse we have, it's pretty standard issue. It's a beautiful old warehouse, but it's uh, in a secluded part of, of the city near some railroad tracks. The owners are down. They've got new washrooms and lighting. So basically it's all the things you want. It's sort of this big, beautiful space where you can throw late night shows. And, and that's important. I mean, it doesn't have to be an all nighter all the time, but a few times a year would be nice to be able to throw a festival and have a party that goes till, you know, pick your time five six in the morning so that kind of thing yeah that's always nice to to at least have the option to put these parties on and like you said it doesn't have to be every weekend it doesn't have to be even every month but just to have the option to every now and again extend those parties especially when uh people like yourself are going through the effort to bring in uh quality uh quality artists who are going to be playing great music and people don't want to go home and they want to just enjoy the night completely because having a special occasion like that it draws people out and uh, i think that is that's something even saskatchewan saskatchewan could be doing with right now i know in years gone by we had a connect music festival unfortunately i wasn't able to attend that i think that was maybe just as i got to regina maybe i missed it by a year or two um so i think maybe something like that uh, out here would be a good idea for us because even i know yourself you played at connect for 15 years or is that right? On and off, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that's kind of what we need in the praise here is more of these events, uh, build up a little bit more trust with the people uh, who own the spaces and uh, just see what we can do. Um, I know that you guys have now found yourself uh, landing on your feet and these have a great warehouse space out there and the, the uh, landlord is allowing you guys to put on these events and yeah that's a steps in the right direction right um there just seems to be we're moving further and further away from that uh the negative the negative view on things and stepping away from the drug culture and stepping away from uh all the other negative connotations that goes with that um, yeah it's almost old news by now i mean the whole drug culture thing is true in all music scenes and it's there it's not always there and it's not for everyone and that's fine but it shouldn't be the focus i mean it's a great art form it's wonderful music it's a great night out um, you know, there's lots, there's lots to it. Um, I think we're done trying to, well, not totally done, but we're mostly done trying to convince the masses of the value of this scene, but it's still misunderstood. As far as the prairies goes though, one of the things that I liked about connect and Jeff galaxy is that he, since the day one would book a lot of great regional talent from, from BC, Alberta, especially Manitoba, because people were close. They were, they were up and coming. Uh, they were probably pretty affordable. But to his credit, he built a bit of a scene. Connect, actually, for a little while, was one of the best local building blocks for, for the prairies. And I think Meme, the Manitoba electronic music exhibition that we ran, certainly carried that torch for a while, and I hope we can do it again, and AIMCON in Alberta. So there's definitely stuff happening in Electric Sky Festival. Um, 
but it's always you know it's it's all very modest and it's not toronto it's not uh, berlin but that's okay um and it's still there it's doing well but uh, i think we should all aspire to sort of bring it together more and actually one project that i'm happy to be involved in on the music side is it's something uh called beats union which is a saskatchewan based company uh, that's um it's a new platform for artists producers to sell their music on and it's um it's going to be just canadian artists initially and with a lot of prairie artists uh and it's sort of like a, a canadian version of Bandcamp, but it's got a lot of substance to it and they're going to be launching their call for submissions if you want to be on this platform um on april 1st but it's actually open now so if you see this and you want to be an early adopter you can actually go to beatsunion.com as an artist and fill out an application form but we're making it official April 1st. But as far as like the scene and building the scene goes, um, right now, now that there's no touring going on, right, no shows, a lot of people who might have had some gigs, whether it was just part-time for fun, making a little bit of money and they enjoyed it, or they did it for a living, uh, you know, trying to sell some music is extra important right now. So I'm glad to be helping promote this new solution to give artists 100% of their, their profits. So it's a, it's a neat uh, model that um, is very producer-centric. So uh, yeah, Beats Union, check it out, yeah. Well, you heard it here first, guys. If you're interested, if we've got any producers out there, any artists, uh, beachunion.com. Yeah. Get on there and uh, get your submissions in. Uh, that was the other thing I really kind of wanted to cover with you here today as well was um, you're seeing, like, you guys have obviously launched this new, this new, it's going to be an app, a website um, that's going to be focused on the artists and providing the artists with the compensation that they did really deserve for putting in the work and the time to to make these great this great music. Um, and you're seeing it a lot across all of music, not even just in dance music right now. Uh, you're seeing a lot of even hip hop hip hop artists and things fighting with record labels over royalties and things like that. And they're complaining about uh, these streaming services that are happening and they're not getting paid for people playing their music. And um, I think something like this is a, is going to be a good opportunity and exciting. It's exciting that it's coming out of Canada too. Um, I believe you even mentioned it's coming out of Saskatchewan. So that's, that's something big that uh, may even be another catalyst and uh, moving the scene along. Like here it is slowly growing, like I said, but uh, I think we just need a little bit more attention, a little bit more time, and just to, to keep pushing and keep pushing, and hopefully we can break through those glass ceilings and we can start to expand and bring a lot more talent, both from across Canada, maybe some up-and-coming talent. Uh, like you said, Connect was doing, bringing them in from BC and like Manitoba and these other places, Toronto, Montreal. Um, and hopefully it even allows us to kind of bring in some more, I guess, mainstream artists and bigger names too to maybe attract a little bit more attention. That's Sometimes I feel that may, that may help because although you are bringing in great artists who are up and coming, if you're bringing in artists that maybe aren't as well known, people may be a little bit reluctant to, to kind of roll the dice and come out to the shows. So it's always finding that balance, especially as someone who's organizing these events of bringing in names that people recognize and people feel comfortable coming to see and kind of pairing that with the up and coming artists that you're maybe, you're going to be educating the people who are coming a little bit on, uh, on the, the artists that are right here in the backyard. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's some good points there. Like um, it's, it's always a question of you want to bring in a big name. The question is, can you afford it? Will people go to it? You know, um, and in some cases that's worked here a little bit, uh, chasing summer in Alberta and summer of sound, 
very commercial. And I think that you need to have some of those people, um, you know, the, the scene needs that. But there is the quote unquote more underground, for lack of a better word. And so it's sort of always a bit of a tug of war between the two. But they're really connected at some point. Obviously, they are. And that's that's OK. I think I think we definitely over the years have been pretty strictly underground. Um, our big names are still not humongous names, you know, whether it's Kevin Saunderson from Detroit or Blondish or The Orb. I mean, these are famous, amazing acts, but they're still not as big as like um, some of the bigger commercial names. Uh, I wouldn't put it past us to book one or two commercial acts to, to sort of fill out the festival and attract more people. I don't think that's a terrible idea, especially in the prairies. Let's be honest. It, you know, yeah, um, definitely. And, and sometimes, yeah, um, you know, I think they would come here, but I think it's also a matter of like, you know, sometimes we've done well booking people and just promoting really well where people give us a chance. They know we put on good shows. Um, you know, we brought Tiga here um, fairly early in his career uh, in 2002. And then uh, Masioplex, we booked him um I think in 2007 and it was his first gig in Canada. And so it felt good to be like, Hey, let's grab this guy. No one knew who he was speaking of bringing unknown names in. So that worked. I mean, it was, it was a small show, but it was great for us to build our scene and show people that we were sort of trendsetters and tastemakers. And, um, and it obviously felt good to sort of grab him first, but um, you know, so, so, so yeah, it's a balancing act. Can you find these new, new artists or even people who've done it forever? This aren't that well known. And so uh, I think, yeah, the bottom line is you do need to balance. You can't, you, I think if you want the scene to grow, you need to have a bit of, bit of both for sure, you know, and that's okay. Definitely. That's a, it's walking a fine line, isn't it? It's, it's trying to bring in these more, I guess, commercial, commercial acts, uh, bigger known names, but also bringing in the right names too, because you don't want to take away from the scene that you're building. And I guess if I, I know you guys over at the meme, uh, is more of an underground, an underground, uh, sound to you guys. You don't want to take away from that. You want to you want to bring in the big names who are still in line with the kind of music that the people are playing, and and they complement the the kind of up and coming artists, and they, they give them a little bit of freedom and a little bit of confidence that they're going to be playing on on the same stages as these big names without without the big names needing or wanting all of the attention and taking away from maybe the kind of I guess up and coming or smaller acts that are playing right well there's kind of a sweet spot i guess i think i mean this is true anywhere i mean if you're if you're an up-and-coming act or, or an act that's not that well known and you got to open up for some huge name in your hometown that's got to be good for you that's how it goes um but yeah there's definitely a sort of two scenes overall i think there's a very very commercial scene to the point where it's like why not just book the book pop music and don't even think about the quality of music just go for the most popular thing all the way to some pretty obscure stuff and that's an interesting conversation to have because um, there's nothing wrong with them. I mean, pop music is great. But yeah, you know, if you have an agenda as an organization, if you're curating a festival, you have a certain sound, you can only be so stubborn in a place like Winnipeg because you're going to sort of tap out at a certain point. So I think carefully booking those other names that um, maybe aren't your favorite but are still really good and are going to draw crowds. I think that's a good a good card to play in places like, like the Prairies. And um, I think we've done a bit of that, but I wouldn't put it past us for doing more for the sake of growing the scene, right? I, I, I mean, it's, um, that's just smart business sense. Yeah, that's it. Well, you always have to think about that too. You always have to take into consideration what's best for the organization and uh, and what's going to bring you guys more eyes and more attention. Because uh, the more attention you get and the more eyes that you have on your festival is, again, going to allow you guys to promote the thing that you like the more underground scene is going to, again, get more attention. It's going to allow you guys to promote the thing that uh, you have kind of deeply embedded 
in the culture that surrounds your festival and things like that. So I think uh, I really believe that like uh, I really believe that more people would love this music if they just saw it, if they just came to see it. And you see a bit of that with our free public events. But basically, yeah, if you could just get them, get them there and they could see it, it's sort of, I mean, it's true of a lot of things, but I think it's a matter of, yeah, just, just people have busy lives and there's so, so much attention they have. But um, if you can just get, get people there for that first time, some of them, are, it's going to stick, right? So that's sort of been the, been the, the agenda for us, you know? And what do you think, in your opinion, what do you think the problem is in the prairies? Because from my experience, you, it's not that people don't go out. Because there's people out at the bars most weekends. I mean, due to COVID right now, there's obviously everything shut down. But beforehand, people seem to go out, but they're going to these more, I guess, mainstream bars and they're listening to the same songs every week and uh, they're going out and they're drinking and everything else. Why is it that you think that maybe people are reluctant to give maybe the more underground scene or uh, a little bit more of the dance music scene a chance at all? Because... From my experience, a lot of people seem to be a little bit reluctant to it and are just like kind of group everything together. But there's so much diversity within the scene. That, I mean, like you said, you've got everything going from uh, the stuff that's maybe verging on pop music and is very, very mainstream. And then you've got uh, something really deep and uh, like dark, like your heavier technos, your acid technos, things like that. Um, and there seems to be the diversity there, but it's to two extremes people are going out and it's either like hip hop uh more pop music rock country i guess is one end of it or you've got dubstep on the other end of it and then there just seems to be a big gap in between where there you have the kind of spectrum of dance music going through uh, house all the way to techno kind of in there yeah it's it's a question we've asked for so many years you know and it's a i mean it's it's a tough one to answer um but definitely for some reason that scene uh this electronic music scene has never quite exploded as much as it has elsewhere population is part of it i think um i think some other factors are there too and i think now too unfortunately you're fighting for more attention a lot of people you know with with the internet you've got a million different little sub genres out there and maybe people are even going out less but overall it's still it still survives and 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 it's still there um but it really needs to to find out that magic you know equation to like to get more people interested and i think i think that doing um unique things and again we're going to try this i think doing this conference this festival this ted talk quote unquote uh discussion series with lots of different people like whether it's former astronauts or scientists or you know people talking about robotics because i do that anyways i think it'll be really neat to see these random people coming and i, I suspect if we could just get them to say hey there's an after party and here's here's a ticket or whatever i think it's gonna be really fun to like to attract a wider audience and so we will see what happens with that yeah definitely and especially with covid right now that's the way you're seeing a lot of things going is i guess i don't know if it's doing the scene uh, good or bad right now we don't really have much option things seem to be going online where you're seeing a lot of people doing things like live streams and twitch streams and uh, partnering up and getting together and maybe putting five or six different people on a stream that's spanning the a few hours right um and that's where a lot of the promotions coming from. People are that's where most people are earning money because they're make essentially putting together makeshift gigs because people can't travel, they can't gig. Um and you're also seeing things like socially distanced raves. I don't know if you saw that over uh, there was a big one in the UK and things where people are 
uh, individually sat or stood on their platforms and I guess they can dance and they're having drinks delivered to their platforms and things. But to yeah. me, I saw that's... a couple, I saw a couple of those and, um, I mean, Hey, kudos for them for trying something, but that reminds me we, we tried to do what well, we did do a mini meme last year at a really cool pop-up venue. It's an outdoor, they call it the beer can next to a, the times change venue here. We had about a hundred people. It was a socially distanced event and, um, uh, people who had to sit at the tables, uh, with the people they came with. Um, but the really interesting part of the story, and it's not a good story, but I'll tell it is that, uh, there was no dancing allowed. Um, so here was this, this dance, dance music event and people were mostly behaved, but about 20, uh, I'd say about 20% of the people were dancing a little bit throughout the night out of the hundred, right? So 20 or 30 people. And so, um, I was the last DJ supposed to play that night and, um, and the, the bar staff, the, uh, management were re- really great, the two of them. Um, but, uh, they came up to me right before my set. They said, Hey, uh, we've asked some of the same people four or five times to stop dancing. I'm like, Oh, that's, that's, that's about four times too many. Right. Like t- tell them once fair enough. You know, everyone knows the rules. That's for sure. We were on the microphone saying, you know, no dancing allowed. And they said, actually, we're going to shut the party. And I'm like, and I, it's my party and I'm about to go on. And I was like, I'm not going to argue. I respect that. Like, that's fine, man. Like these guys, you know, they, they didn't listen. It is what it is. But I will say that reminds me that, you know, um, we, we planned our promise yourself we wouldn't throw parties ever again where you couldn't have dancing so so as far as socially distance events goes i think they're great for sit down shows uh they're great for lots of things but um for us in particular we're just going to wait until everything opens up and so in the meantime we're doing the streaming event um etc etc et but uh yeah man a no dancing dance party is is not cool yeah it's, it's a little bit contradictory of itself listening to dance music and not being able to dance um but I mean, given the circumstances, there's not a whole lot you can do. Uh, you've just got to kind of cut your losses and be thankful that they even gave you the opportunity to put the event on. And Well, a lot of us who are like, you know, a little bit older, I mean, it doesn't have to be older, but who are in our 30s and 40s and beyond, we love going to these things, the beer garden, sitting there, tapping our foot, having a beer, talking to our friends anyways. So, you know, the idea is kind of nice. It's like basically being outside for three or four hours, hearing great music, having some drinks and some food. There was a great food truck there, a couple... So, yeah, I mean, you could see how it would work, but because the general audience wasn't going to follow along, we're like, okay, we don't want to fight with people. So, yeah, so it's a, there's a time and a place there. But, yeah, I think we're in good shape for 2022. Um, it'll be really curious to see how these things look. People are going to be so pent up, right, uh, for, for shows. It's going to be it's going to be wild, I think, in a good way. It's going to be kind of cool to see the energy and, and the appreciation to be able to go out and see your friends and dance again. I mean, I, I can't wait, personally, uh, I uh, I go out less often these days and throw less shows with a young family, but I do certainly plan to do that when I'm allowed to again. Yeah, well, that's just it as well. Like people have been cooped up inside for uh, all, of, pretty much all of 2020, all of the last year now, and it's looking like it's going to be at least another six, seven months before we even see any sort of uh, proper events being held. So I think uh, by the time you guys come around in 2022, people are going to be ready and raring to go and it's going to be in the best way possible chaos where people are just going to be ready to get out and enjoy themselves and let loose and just spend some time with their friends dancing and that's that's honestly a good thing although the last year has has been horrible obviously for everyone but i think it's it's going to bring back to the the culture of dance music and the kind of principles that it was built on of togetherness and inclusion and bringing people in and 
I think it'll be it'll be a really cool thing to watch uh, when the floodgates open and people can hit the dance floors again. I like that. You and I spoke before this, and I was saying, obviously, COVID's been a disaster for for a, a, a lot of people, but um, in my case, ha- being forced to stop throwing shows, it was the best time because I've got a three year old and a one year old, so we're in the thick of those early years. And by next year, when our kids are four and two and they're just that much more able to stay at the grandparents for a few days here and there personally as an as a promoter and as a guy who likes to, to dj and go to parties i'll just be coming out of that early childhood phase where i'll be able to be engaged so it was a good time to sort of press pause you know um and that's why we're, we're doing the streaming festival uh june 10th to 13th um because we wanted to sort of use that as a springboard for next year saying hey we're still here obviously everyone's doing the same thing right but we're going to do that to sort of make it clear we haven't gone away and that we're planning for next year. And yeah, I like what you said about um, it bringing things back to the spirit of, of these events and really appreciating the community. Bit of a cliche there, but it is, it, especially this this scene can be quite a great community if you're in it. And um, and it may, we'll see who's left standing. I think some promoters won't come back. Uh, some venues won't come back, which sucks. But maybe some some will stay around for the right reasons. In our case, we're pretty nimble. We all have day jobs. We, we do this all of this as a side side hustle as much as we would like it to be our full-time job, but that's okay. But that being said, it means that we didn't have a lot of like uh, like costs or corporate infrastructure that we had to cover. So we could sort of just stop and start again, right? In our case. Um, although now we're already planning 2022, just the beginnings of all the work that happens. It takes it can take 18 months to put on a, a, a good festival. So I like having all the time because I want to do it right. And when I say I, there's a great team here in Winnipeg and and uh, it'll be, I think, a smaller event, actually. But when I say smaller, it'll still be a, a you know, four-day festival with, you know, 50 acts and all that stuff. But we want to do it really well on a little bit smaller scale and then and just carefully grow it from there, including the warehouse and all that stuff we talked about. Yeah, well, that's it as well. Like, when you're planning these events, obviously, you guys are scaling down a little bit here. Um, but it's more about the quality rather than the size, right? Because, 100%, yeah. I mean, even from my own personal experience, uh like I've I've been to the bigger clubs over in Ibiza and uh, two thousand nineteen I attended Awakenings and don't get me wrong it's it's unreal being at these places and being in these super mega clubs and being or seeing the massive stages that are built and everything but it seems to be the the smaller kind of I guess clubs that maybe only have five hundred people that are small and i guess to a certain degree sweaty and dark and those clubs just seem to be the best because everyone's there for the right purpose right like i would totally agree i i I, am by the way is awakenings is that the one in croatia that's amsterdam amsterdam Amsterdam. it's just outside amsterdam thinking of dimensions which my wife went to yeah um but yeah i mean i think if you i've had conversations over the years a lot of different acts obviously just you know through doing this and I would say on average, I mean, people like different things, but but they tend to like those smaller shows. I mean, smaller being certainly under a thousand, you know, relatively speaking, for all the all those reasons, right? I mean, big is is great for some reason, big lineups, and it's very exciting stuff. But yeah, there's a certain scale. So that being said, um, we're we're in no rush to get huge, but we just want to make sure we can maintain and do what we do, and uh, and and still grow the scene. I mean, um. I don't think it's the size of the parties that are a problem in the prairies. It's the regularity of them. There's not enough of them. Hey, if it's 100, 200 people, but there should be one every Friday, Saturday moving around, right? And you see bits and pieces of that, but I think that can still happen. But it's boy, it's been a, a bit of an elusive target in, in this region. I guess that's part of why you're doing this is just to sort of talk to some of the people involved to sort of create a bit more of awareness of who's doing stuff and, and see if you can spark some collaboration, et cetera. 
that's exactly why I'm doing this is I'm just trying to bring a little bit more of a platform for the people both in the prairies themselves and also some of the people from uh, maybe the bigger cities bring a little bit of attention that there is a scene here and then it will maybe put a thought in their head and they'll maybe consider coming down here and playing some shows and it'll make the shows a little bit more frequent uh, and we may see some some more people actually willing to come to the prairies and do that that kind of leg of the tour because a lot of the time right now you're seeing them playing east coast and then they just jump right over us and go west coast so i think maybe by bringing a little bit of awareness both to the people from outside the prairies and other regions of canada and maybe even other countries and the people who are living here in these uh, i guess island cities who maybe know about the scene or enjoy the scene but don't really know where to access it and don't know what it is that's going on locally because i know certainly for myself when i first moved here for the first couple of years here obviously uh i was a big fan of the music and i was involved in the scene and things but i didn't really hear a lot of what was going on like i i missed the connect i think by a year or two and again, that was probably down to me just adjusting while I was here. But at the same time, there's probably a lot of people who uh, have love for this kind of music who maybe just don't have any sort of... There's no voice for uh, putting it out there, the shows that are happening, the events that are happening and going on, because they are there. They're just maybe not, like you said, as frequent as some of the other places right now. Yeah, I mean, social media on one hand, when it first came around, uh, it's such a great way to promote. I mean, when I remember using Facebook in 2007, 8, 9, and 10, and that was when you could message all the guests on your events, you know, and, and you you could get, like, people out that much easier. But now, of course, the platform sucks, and, and people are inundated with stuff, or whether it's Instagram or pick your, your thing. So it's not enough to just sort of sit on Facebook or, or Instagram and promote shows. There's got to be other ways to build community for sure, um, some of the things you mentioned. Um, but I think we could be a destination. I think, you know, Alberta, uh, Saskatchewan in Manitoba, um, which is kind of cool. I think, you know, we, we were a few times on and off. Uh, we had people coming up from Minneapolis and from Toronto, Montreal, you know, uh, small numbers, but it was neat to see that word got out a little bit. So I think that can happen again. Um, and, but it's going to definitely take some, some creative, uh, promoting for sure. Yeah, I think, I think it's very possible. And I was even speaking to, uh, I was speaking to another artist who's from Winnipeg uh, last week or yeah last week. Uh, he's going to be coming on the podcast in the next few weeks here, and he was even saying um, these these cities that we are and obviously in the prairies these island cities. Uh, one of the ways that we could even combat that is by again like people like me and you sitting down and speaking and having the contact there and almost banding together to provide. Uh, opportunity for people to come here that's going to make it worth their while, right? Because again, if if Winnipeg are just campaigning for someone to play a show there or someone to host something there, um, and it's only one show or one weekend, then people are going, well, I'm not going to jump on a tour bus and drive however many hours to uh, the prairies here just for one show when I can just jump on a plane probably get to Vancouver quicker or go down to the States quicker than that for a bigger a much bigger show so maybe if there's like back-to-back weekends or back-to-back shows where they're playing maybe winnipeg regina saskatoon uh maybe even some of the other cities that are in the prairies some of the places in alberta it may allow people to stake a claim to for a reason 
for these acts to come in here and to, to actually visit these cities. Because I think uh, if, if we provide the opportunity for the people to come here and we provide uh, the shows, then people will come and see it. Um, you can't keep things quiet for too long. Uh, you almost have to force the hand. Yeah, well, I think you know, I think it's a combination of uh, of bringing some some of those names here and also just getting people to come and see them. So it's a, it's it's a little bit of both, you know. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you one other story that's just kind of flips this conversation on its head is, uh, we we've been doing um, a theme party series for you for since two thousand twelve called the Roaring Twenty Twenties, and it's a swing house and electro house and uh, it's a costume party. And we've, we've sold out most of these events at the Pyramid Cabaret with, you know, three or 400 people. And we do them just twice a year. And they're just rip-roaring, like, very popular. And on one hand, people come because they love dressing up and it's a costume party. But inside of that, um, there's really great electronic music. And it's it's some of this, this stuff is, like, just great tech house with, like, some swing elements and great electro, great breaks. Um, but it's definitely more electronic and house breaks and, and bass than than it is anything else even if it's under the guise of the roaring 2020s and that was all locals is my point so sometimes there's other ways to sort of grow a scene that doesn't require trying to make someone come from toronto or from vancouver um but i think if you're going to you know want to see more of a scene here yeah like sharing sharing tours is, is that has happened a bit over the years here but um these things kind of come and go really really easily right uh, if it's just one promoter sometimes if they're not there you can't do a tour um, but I'm happy to say that um, I know that the guys running Electric Sky Festival, who uh, I, I can I can connect you with, um, are are really sort of doing a quality festival there this in the summer now, which is kind of maybe maybe carrying the torch from Connect a little bit. And then we're coming back, uh, and Alberta's some, got some stuff. So yeah, there are these things kind of come and go, and uh, I think that COVID was a, a, a time to sort of like everything was stopped, and I think you'll see what grow out of that is the people that are serious about it um, and that are still committed and passionate, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how it sort of uh, blooms and blossoms again, right, after all this happens. Yeah, and I think uh, now is as good a time as any for that. Uh, like you said, with everything opening back up and stuff, and people will be desperate for something that even if, if you're providing it, people may be more likely to come, right? People might be more willing to give it a chance, especially with uh, a lot of the – you're seeing a lot of these, like we said, P, uh, DJs, artists who are playing online – uh, gigs and shows um, and you don't really see you're not really seeing as many like hip hop hip hop artists or bands or stuff doing that kind of thing that's it's more being adapted by the people who do make electronic music and do make dance music that's uh, that's become more common I mean I, I'm not saying that these other bands aren't happening I was kind of wondering if it was is it actually more electronic I kind of heard that but that has been a bit more popular that's interesting if they've, they've kind of like adopted that quicker or, or, or on a bigger numbers hey uh, for whatever reason that's interesting and hopefully that means that these audiences they've grown online that can translate into real people or real gigs eventually right um, maybe it will because now people have been promoting they never did that before really right so all of a sudden you've built this following obviously people are from around the world but you've got local people so yeah maybe this is a way to actually like get those people out um to some of those gigs at least right yeah definitely and i think a lot a lot of the a lot of that is going to come from uh obviously like people who are playing maybe rock or uh like country and things like that which seem to be more predominant in places like uh, the prairies i guess um they can't come together as a group because of the social distancing rules and things like that that's maybe preventing people so 
and it's a lot easier for you to hook up your setup and uh, record you record your mix and or stream it live. It's a lot easier to do that rather than to play instruments and have them running and and it's expensive to to have that kind of setup. I mean, obviously, some of the the higher end gear that people are playing on can get up to some pretty crazy prices, but. I mean, a lot of these people who are serious and who are touring and uh, playing gigs and things, they do have the access to that kind of gear already because it's the gear that the same gear they're using to practice at home, and it doesn't take too much extra to get that set up, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I guess the the individual DJ is either one that can do these streams because they're it's you're socially distanced already. It's just one person. I guess that that helps. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, I think we're coming up on the hour here. I don't think we're too far away. Um, I just want to say thank you very much for joining me, Nathan. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to sit and speak to us and to let us know about all the exciting things that you got coming up. Uh, you got this year's virtual festival. Next year's going to be uh, the revamped New Look Meme 2022 festival. You've got uh, the new app coming out. If you just want to tell everyone to where to go for that one again one last time yeah so it's a website for now i guess uh um and it's mobile friendly it's beats union so b-e-a-t-s-u-n-i-o-n.com beats union and uh that's a place to sell your music and take all your all your all your income 100 percent of your income so it's electronic music only and you can actually apply now we're going to make that official april 1st but if you see this and you want to check out beats union you can be one of the first and do check it out if you're interested in trying to find a new audience for your new music and and then the other thing is um, kind of exciting for me. I, I'm uh, getting into the business of running a record label. Um, and our first release comes out on March 26th. It's uh, a producer in Winnipeg, uh, Cube Productions, and two remixes um, of the of the tracks by Noah Pred, who's a good friend of the festival. He lives in Berlin. He's from Canada. And Deep Child from Australia. So we've got some plans to do a few releases this year. But um, yeah, it's exciting times. Uh, label, uh, new music platform, streaming festival. So um, for those that are wondering, we're definitely still active and we'll be back bigger and better uh, next year for sure. Definitely. You're definitely a busy guy and got lots going on, lots coming up. Um, so yeah, if you guys want to keep up to date with everything that Nathan's got happening, make sure to check out. Beats, Beats Union is the, the is the project you want to check out. And I'm at, I'm on SoundCloud actually, if you want to find me. Uh, actually, you know it's a good thing to do? Uh, SoundCloud is Nathan Zan, just my name, Z-A-H-N. And then, um, and then the website for the festival actually is, is quite busy. It's got lots of content, and that's memetic, um, uh, dot ca m e m e t i c dot ca. So that's the festival website, and we've got all of our socials there too. Perfect. Well, make sure to check out everything Nathan's got going on. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in, and listening. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I hope to see you guys next week. Uh, next week we're going to be joined by a duo from Toronto played some big shows with some big names. Uh, very exciting guys, really cool guys. Uh, so make sure you tune in and join us for that because that is going to be a great podcast. Uh, thank you very much to everyone again. One last time, big shout out to everyone that showed support and uh, God bless. All right, guys. So thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. With that being said, we've only got one thing left to do and that's announce the winner of our giveaway. Uh, today we're going to be giving away an off-white iPhone 11 Pro phone case along with your choice of tea from Pale Studios. Uh, you get to choose the design, you get to choose the color, and you get to choose your size. Uh, the t-shirts are really high quality, sick streetwear, 
brand based right here in Regina. So shout out John, shout out Sandro, shout out Angelo for giving me the opportunity to do this giveaway. You guys are the best. If you haven't already, check them out over on Instagram. Uh, check them out online at palestudios.ca. Uh, the link will also be in the description. Uh, make sure you like and subscribe. Uh, comment down below and let us know what you thought of the first podcast, who you'd like to see on future episodes. And yeah, without further ado, we're going to spin the wheel and we're going to see who's the winner for this week. The winner is Ryan Matthews. Congratulations, Ryan. Well in, mate. Uh, get in touch with me at Instagram. We'll get that sorted. We'll get everything packaged up. We'll get it shipped out to you. Um, you can choose anything that they have available on their website. Uh, we're going to be doing a weekly mix series. So the first episode would have went out on Friday. Uh, we're going to be putting that out every Friday. First episode featuring Nathan that we had on the podcast today. Uh, we're also going to be doing weekly podcasts, so make sure to keep your eyes peeled on the Instagram page and follow us, like, subscribe, like I said, on uh, Instagram and on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you're listening or watching on. And yeah, we're going to be doing monthly giveaways, so also keep your eyes peeled for that because hopefully as this podcast grows, the giveaways are going to get bigger and better every month. Um, so just thank you everyone for showing me support. And uh, God bless.